Romans 9, 1 through 5. We are in a new chapter. We went through Romans 8. What a great chapter that is. Um, I would encourage you to go back and study that even closer and keep, you know, it's one of Romans 8 is one of those chapters that you can just keep going back to on a daily basis and glean from because there's just so much there for us as believers in Jesus. But Romans 9 is where we're at now. We're moving forward in Romans, entering into really a new section in Romans. So chapters 9 through 11 are their own section. Um, and he, change, he changes topic in Romans 9, and we'll talk about that. So let me read uh, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 9, all the way through 5. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears, witness, bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to all According to the flesh is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that now you will help us as we enter into your word. Help us to understand this, um, to to glean from it, to, to apply it to our hearts. Challenge us with it. Lord, help me as I speak now. Thank you for your precious word. We just need your help at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I was thinking about, um, as a uh, kid, uh, growing up in Awana uh, clubs, uh, kids' club for churches, you might be probably familiar with it, um, and uh, every year, we would uh, compete in what was called the Awana Olympics. Uh, they call it something different, I think Awana Games. But every spring, we'd have this Awana Olympics where we had, would compete with other churches uh, with the Awana Games that we learned all throughout the year. And I remember one of those games that I loved doing was the three-legged race. Right? And, and I, I had a friend who was about my same height, my same age. We, we were almost exactly identical in terms of our body types. And, and we were going to compete in the three-legged race. And, you know, we were, had ambitions to win the thing. And um, so we, we practiced and practiced and practiced that thing. Yeah, you know, do I remember if we won it or not? I don't. <laughs> Maybe we did. I, I don't think we did. But anyway, we worked hard. And so I remember being there at this the school gymnasium on a Saturday before the game started, walking with my friend, putting our arms around each other, and to, with our, our, our legs tied in the middle, counting, right? One, two, one, two, to try to get in sync with each other. Because uh, the thing you have to do to win a three-legged race is to be in sync. You, can't, you have to be doing the steps at the exact same time. And the better you are being in sync, the faster you can go, and the faster you can go, of course, is 
is it, uh, the better it is, and maybe you'll win. But we didn't, I don't think. But we were in sync. And that, hey, that counts for something. I was thinking about that as I was looking at this passage and thinking about how important it is that we be in sync with the Holy Spirit. We could say it another way, that we'd be in sync with Jesus. Same thing. Luke 15, let's go there. Luke 15, we see Jesus' heart for the lost. Um, Really clearly in the Gospel of Luke, but it's really, um, really pronounced in Luke 15, where he gives us three parables about lost things. Now, this is just introduction. We're not going to stay a long time here. You could. We could spend a long, long time in Luke 15. But I just wanted to highlight the first parable. And um, he's dealing with the lost sheep. Luke 15, 1 through 7. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near. Verse 1, near, near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There's a lot we could say about that parable. But the main thing I want to say is that Jesus is the shepherd who goes after the lost sheep. Luke 19.10, in the kids' coloring page, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is Jesus' heart. That is what He is all about. You find Him searching, seeking out lost people. And we need to be in sync with Him that seeking, that searching. We need to have a heart, as North River Community Church, we need to have a heart for evangelism. We need to have a heart for lost people. Now, Paul has the same heart that Jesus has. No surprise there. He has a heart for lost people, and that's what we see in Romans 9. So we can flip back at that to that or to our passage, Romans nine. He he's really unveiling his heart. He's letting us look inside, and how his heart beats for his brothers and sisters, his, his the ethnic ties that he has to the Jews. His heart is beating for them. He longs to see them get saved. You find that Paul is motivated from this longing. You see what he does in the book of Acts. He's going from town to town. And you read of that in the book of Acts. He's 
He's traveling all over the Roman Empire, miles and miles and miles and miles, town to town to town. And what does he do? Well, he goes into a town. Where's the first place that he goes? The synagogue. He goes to the Jews. Because even though he's called the apostle to the Gentiles, and that was what Jesus commissioned him to do, that was his, you can maybe even say the main thing he did, he had a heart for the Jews. And he never, never, that never stopped. His ministry changed here and there, but he never stopped loving the Jewish people. And so you find him going to the synagogues, meeting with Jewish people. Well, we want to look at his motivations a little closer here in Romans chapter 9. His heartbeat for the Jews. So you have to understand that as we begin this new section, Romans 9 through 11 is, is a little different. He begins to, the, the subject really, if we want to put it um, short, in a short sentence, is that he is seeking to talk about the Jews and how they relate to God's salvation. He's just been talking about God's great salvation from chapters 1 through 8. And now he's like, well, how does this relate to the Jewish people? And that's what we're going to be talking about as we go through Romans 9 through 11. But, but don't think that this has no relevance to us because it has tons of relevance for us as, by and large, Gentile believers living today. Okay, so let's, let's look at a couple mo- motivations. What are two motivations to share Jesus with the lost? And we find this from Paul here. Here's the first motivation. He looked at the situation of the lost. He looked at their situation. Their Jewish, his Jewish brethren and sisters, he looked at their situation. Well, what does he see? He sees first just simply a rejection of Christ by and large. Now, there were Jewish Christians for sure. There were Jews who became Christians. Obviously, Paul is one of them. The disciples were all Jews. And at the preaching of the, um, in Acts 2, you have a, um, Peter, Peter gets up and preaches and thousands of people get saved and predominantly those are Jewish people that are getting saved. So Jewish people do get saved in the New Testament. We see that. But by and large, as a whole, as a nation, they have rejected Christ. Now you see that if you flip just a few pages back in John 1, verse 11. Now, John, the disciple of Jesus, mentions this. So if someone can read that, John 1, 11, when you get there. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Okay. So Paul is, Paul is thinking about this. They didn't receive him. They rejected him. So at the same time, there's a tension here then Paul is going to lay this tension out for us. So they are, here they are. Uh, and you know, it's interesting, the, the fact of their rejecting Jesus is something that we 
The repercussions of that is something we see today. There are 14.7 million Jews who follow Judaism in our world. And Judaism is a rejection of Christ. That's what it is. So, there is still great need in the Jewish community for Christ. Thankfully, there's, there's ministries that are seeking to reach the Jewish people. So, Jews have rejected Christ. Here's the tension we find in Romans 9. Look with me there at verses uh, two, uh, uh, 4 and 5. So, he says they've rejected Christ, yet here's, here's the reality. They, are, are, they have been privileged. They're privileged people. They're God has reached out. They are his chosen people. We see that in the Old Testament. But verse 4 says, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So he's saying here the Israelites, they are, they've rejected Christ, yet this is, They are his chosen people. God gave them all these privileges that we read about here. They have all these privileges. They're God's chosen people, yet they've rejected Christ. What is God's plan for them? And that's what he's going to lay out. Uh, He's going to talk a lot about that in Romans 9 through 11. And work out this tension that we feel here. But here's the tragedy of the Jewish situation, and Paul feels it here, is that they are so close to the truth, and yet they have rejected Christ. And I couldn't uh, look at that without thinking of people in America who are so close to the truth, and yet they reject Christ. When I was in Kettle Falls, I interned with um, a man named Tony Pinkham. You guys haven't had an opportunity to meet with him. Maybe one of these days he'll show up here and you'll get an opportunity to meet him. He's a great guy. Um, so he's a village missionary in Kettle Falls. been there for 30 years, 30 plus years. Um, I remember hearing him preaching, and I was a privilege to sit under his preaching. And he said something in the pulpit that struck me. He said, it is possible to miss heaven by 18 inches. It's possible to miss heaven by 18 inches. Well, he actually kind of stole that because I think that's from a tract. Missing heaven by 18 inches. Well, what are those 18 inches? They're the 18 inches that are from the head to the heart. From the head to the heart. Well, what he was saying there is that you can have all the head knowledge about the truth, but your heart's not affected. And that's our situation in America by and large. There, we, we would say in America by and large, in certain parts of the country more than others probably, certain regions, there's a thing, this thing called cultural Christianity. 
And that basically means that you can have a knowledge of Christianity and even live out some of the principles of Christianity, but even go to church. But it hasn't really affected your heart. Hasn't really changed your life. You're just going through the motions. You say you'll tick off your Christian on a if you're ever asked on a survey, but it, they're missing heaven by 18 inches. That's like the juice. And Paul's heart just 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 is in cringing and so sad about this situation that they know, look they, they look what they have. They have the Old Testament. The Old Testament is full of Christ. And you know what? Christ is even a Jew. He's one of them. They miss it. And you get to see Paul's just like, they miss it. They have it. They have it all right there. It's in front of their face, and yet they miss it. So true of so many people in America. Doesn't it just break your heart? Well, it should break our hearts. We'll talk about that in the next point here. But we deal with cultural Christianity. But as we evaluate this situation of lost people, we can be encouraged because the Holy Spirit is always at work in people. He's changing lives. He's changing hearts. He's working. He's working. And, you know, later on you see that um, just a few verses down from chapter 9. Look with me at verses 15 and 16. It says, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So God, specifically the Holy Spirit, changes people's hearts. And so as we're seeking to keep in step with the Spirit, as we're keep seeking to be in sync with Him, to walk with Him, to, to be used by Him in reaching out to lost people, we need to look for the way the Holy Spirit is working on hearts. And we see that when people feel convicted over their sin. When people, we see that people are trusting in Christ and Christ alone for their salvation. When we see that people are beginning, are desiring to live differently, to live a new life, to, to begin their steps of obedience to Christ. That's all the work of the Holy Spirit. And as we, as we seek to call people to make decisions for Christ, we need to see that the Holy Spirit heart work is being done. And he is working. And he says, I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of it. And we get to be. We need to keep in sync with the Spirit. We need to say, Lord, just show me when I need to speak and when I need to shut up. Show me when I need to live before somebody, show them you. Show me. Help me to be, be led by you, Holy Spirit, in reaching lost people.
people. Because we see from Romans 9, we'll see this more and more, that it is ultimately God's work to save people. And he chooses to use us in the process. Okay, so there's our first motivation. We need to be motivated by this tragic situation of the lost. It's tragic anytime somebody is lost, but it's especially tragic when we think of how close people are to the truth in America and yet reject him. Motivation number two is simply having sorrow and grief over it. We've already said this, but I want to read it again. I want to read what Paul is saying here. Um, He says, look with me at verses 1 through 3. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. (laughs) Look at that. He has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. That's, That's really, he's really strongly feeling this. The language that's used there is showing how strong he's feeling about this. How much it's breaking his heart. This is flowing from a heart of love for the unbelieving person. Do you love the lost with this kind of love? Let's turn over to 2 Corinthians for a moment. Not too far away. Uh, We're looking at verses 14 through 15. Someone can read that. notice that at the beginning of verse 14 for the love of Christ controls us maybe your translation says compels us we are compelled by the love of Christ the love of Christ that he demonstrated on the cross also the love in our own hearts that Christ gives us to love the lost we are compelled by love you see we are also compelled by back in Romans 9 by sorrow and grief. Do you have sorrow and grief over the lost, lost situation? Do you have sorrow and grief over that? Look at look with me at verse three. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. That is some really strong language. So not only does he have sorrow and unseeking anguish, but he ups the stakes in the next verse. I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Think, wow, Paul. Well, Paul can't actually be cut off from Christ. He's already said that in Romans 8. But... But he's speaking hypothetically to show the intensity of his emotions. 
Do you feel that intensity of emotions for the lost? I don't, I don't, I know I don't, (laughs) but we should. Just a couple pages over in Romans 10, 1, Paul says something similar to what he's saying in Romans 9. Just look over there with me at Romans 10, 1. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might, may be saved. So out of, out of this desire, out of this sorrow, out of this love for his fellow Jews, he prays for them. Do you pray for the lost? Because prayer is where it's at. Prayer is powerful. God can use your prayers to save the lost. He can use your prayers for the lost person to change their hearts. Maybe it's your prayers that he'll take and he will use and he will change somebody. He can do it, but he loves, he chooses to use means to do it. And one of the means he uses is prayer. So we need to be praying and praying and praying and praying for the lost out of hearts that overflow with sadness and grief and love for our lost friends and family and strangers. So we recently had the uh, 22nd anniversary of 9-11, and it seems like a long time ago now, but I mean, those memories are still very vivid, I think, to all of us probably, of the planes going into the buildings. I read a story of um, a firefighter who went into one of the Twin Towers. There are many firefighters who went in. But he tells a story. And he talks about how he was going up the stairs and ended up in this room. Could hardly see anything. And while he was there trying to gather people to get people out, the building gave way. And here he's in the building with these people as the building is coming down. And he's there writing it down as it comes down. But by God's grace and mercy he he's alive at the end of that as the building settles now it's dark he doesn't know where in the world he is he doesn't know if he's 100 feet underneath the rubble or not but as they pick their way through the rubble as they begin to work their way they realize they're really close to the surface and they're actually really near a place in that building that's still standing. Just a little part, a little corner that's still standing. And they walk up and out. He's leading people out through that section of the Twin Towers. And as I was thinking of that man's story, I was thinking, we need to be like firefighters. We need to feel the sense of urgency that they feel when they see a burning building and they see people inside and they don't hesitate to go in. We need to feel feel the same sense of urgency over lost people's (coughs) state and pray out of that urgency and act out of that urgency knowing that these people are in grave danger. And we have an opportunity to snatch them Grab onto them by God's work and grace.
Do you have that kind of urgency? Do you have love for the lost? Do you have sorrow and grief for the lost? And these kinds of things, when they're in our hearts, help us to overcome the things that get in the way of us reaching the lost. It might be busyness. It might be fear of people, what they might think when we share Christ with them. It might be um, apathy. But when we have true sorrow and love and urgency and intensity and prayer, that will help us overcome these fears, the busyness, the apathy, whatever might be getting in the way. Because that stuff will just seem like it doesn't matter. That stuff doesn't matter when you're talking about eternity. And that's how we ought to think. We need the Lord's help to think that way and to act that way. We need the Lord to give us the love for the loss that we need to have. And to have the sorrow and, and grief for them. So we need to ask the Lord to help us in this way. And then just to show us and guide us. Lead us wherever we need to go, that we will be attentive to the Holy Spirit. Where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to speak? Where do you want me to to do? And to know that at the end of the day, it is the Holy Spirit's work. So if you feel like you keep reaching out to somebody, keep reaching out to somebody, keep reaching out to somebody, they just keep giving you the the stiff arm. They keep just, you know, just rejecting what you have to say, arguing with you. Know that, well, it's God's job. I just want to be used of Him in whatever way He wants me to be used. And don't let that stop you from continuing to reach out to lost people. So let's pray in light of these things. Father, I thank You for these dear folks. And Lord, You give us opportunity um, throughout our weeks. Lord, You give us opportunities and to to reach out to, to people who don't know you, Jesus. And I pray that you'll we'll, we'll have the heart of Paul and that out of that heart we will speak and act whatever you want us to do. Help us have, to be willing and just willing vessels. Say, Lord, here we are. Use us mightily. And to know that, Lord, you are always at work. And to just be willing to say, Lord, we want to work where you are working. I know, Lord, in my experience in the valley here, there's places where you are working, and I can see it. And people are searching and questioning, and, and Lord, help me to be there where that's happening. And, and others, and all of us, to be there where it's happening, people we know. So, Father, bless our, our week. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.